left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three rebound. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. All right, let's get things going on this Game day, Wednesday, October 11th. The regular season in the NHL is officially underway. And uh, on this Wednesday night, the Calgary Flames regular season schedule will be underway. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome. Welcome to the Hot Stove Lounge. It's Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, Wes. Home opener. Uh, it feels it feels good to be back here for a big game. It feels good to be back here for a regular season game because boy, it felt like that was the longest. I was talking to a couple people in in hockey with the Flames on on Tuesday night. It feels like for everybody that was the longest preseason in the history of mankind. It's ready. Everyone is ready to start playing games for real. Player, coach, management, media fan everybody is ready to go for games that matter and and i think for those of us in the media and i'm sure the fans are feeling this way too what what's made training camp feel even longer perhaps is the storylines haven't changed since the middle of april last year you know it's been well much they're gonna need a bounce back from jonathan huberto and they're gonna need a bounce back from jacob markstrom and you know what's it going to be like with a with a new coach and a new general like everything that we've been discussing we've been discussing since mid-april or maybe june when some of the personnel changes happen and so i think that just makes it feel longer and longer longer and longer listen i you know i could write a few more matt coronado features but Let's get the game started for real. Yep, I'm 100% with you there. Okay, so this is the final couple of Flames talk shows before games are played for real. So we might as well get this on record. If you're listening live, you'll hear it, and uh, it's on record on the podcast. Let's uh, get to it. We, we've always this, – this goes back 15, 20 years on day one of the regular season, the great expectation show with day one of the regular season here. I've got, I've got many questions to bounce off of you. I've got many questions to bounce off the text line at 969.60. I think some of them are even important questions. Uh, we'll see if uh, anybody believes these are important questions or not. But I, I th- this is the way I'll start it. And I'm curious as to where the text line is on this. I'm curious as to where you are on this because I think I know where I am. But are the Flames on October 11th, 2023, a better team than they were on April 13th of 2023 or a better team than they were on opening day one year ago? Are the Flames better than they were last year? Well, now you confuse me by throwing out all those different dates. Well, you I, can you can make you can you can take your pick. How's that? You know, I I think the Flames should be better simply because of the number of key individuals who underperformed last year. Are the Calgary Flames better on paper than they were a year ago? I'm not sure they are. But the reason that I believe the Calgary Flames have to be a better hockey team than they were a year ago 
is the number of guys that I don't think can be as rotten as they were in 22-23. And, and obviously, the starting netminder, Jacob Markstrom, is high on that list. The star winger, now the highest paid player in franchise history. Jonathan Huberto is high on that list. But when I, when I look at it and when I, I guess, wonder what we might be able to expect out of this team, I just, I see the, the sort of same talent that was there on paper a year ago. And I just think these guys have to be better. There's, there's too many pieces here. When you say they're not better on paper, I'm with you. Because when you take a look at the on-paper swaps, they obviously lose their leading scorer from a year ago. And Yegor Sharangovich starting in the middle six and is not starting as a top-line player. So I think from that perspective on paper, no, they're not better. On the other side, you had a rookie in Matt Coronado to the conversation that they didn't have last year for the vast majority of the season. And you take away guys like Lucic and Lewis and, and maybe add a little bit more infusion of speed and skill on the fourth line with guys like Dewar and Rizicka right to start. And, and maybe that mitigates it a little bit. But no, I don't think on paper they are better. But to your point about bounce backs, I don't think Jonathan Huberto can have as poor a season as he had last year. I don't believe Jacob Markstrom is going to have as poor a season as he had last year. A healthy Andrew Mangiapane, I think, scores more than 17 goals this year. And and I think there are two or three other candidates that you would point to and say, yeah, I think th- those those weren't down years because they're bad players. Those weren't down years because they're clearly on the backside of their career and this is what to expect going forward. Those were abnormal years for all those guys we just talked about. And so as a result, I'm not suggesting that Jacob Markstrom or Jonathan Huberdeau or Andrew Mangiapane return to career highs. I'm not saying 115 points for Huberdeau or 35 goals for Mangiapane or the runner-up for the Vesna for Markstrom, but get back to closer to your career norms, and that will be significantly better from key players than what you had last year. You know, I, I remember going back years and doing this exercise after if you remember the year that the Flames won the Western Conference and then got bounced very unceremoniously by Colorado. I I remember sitting around with a a couple of our with a couple of our fellow I'm sorry media people and basically making a list okay who outperformed expectations for the Flames in this series who maybe just met expectations and who didn't meet expectations and it was like a couple guys who probably played better than you were anticipating they would. We don't have to go back to 2018-19, but it was Mike Smith and Sam Bennett and maybe one other guy. Then a couple who were sort of where you thought they'd be and a whole bunch that you put on the, you know, in the column of not good enough. And I just think if you went and did that exercise for the Calgary Flames last season, you'd probably have about three guys that outperformed their expectations you probably have you know three or four or five of more your depth guys that were sort of on expectations and then you would have a really long list including most of your key guys in that bucket of not good enough and that's what gives me optimism i don't think the flames are worse on paper i don't think they're better but the optimism comes from exactly what you're saying 
Jonathan Huberto can't have 55 points again. Yep. Jacob Markstrom isn't going to finish with 8, 9, whatever his save percentage was again. I, I really eight, believe. Two. Yeah, I just can't see that happening. And they're not the only guys. Nazem Kadri's play fell off a cliff in the second half of last season. As you said, uh, not very healthy Andrew Mangiapane just didn't look like himself. You can go up and down the list. This team has to be closer to sort of the sum of its parts this year. So here would be question number two kind of dovetailing from that. I think we both have remarked at how much lighter things feel around here, how much more positive things feel around here. But that's great. That's uh, positivity and, and pep in your step and, and rainbows and lollipops and, and all that type of stuff. That's great in September. That's great in early October. But how does it actually translate onto the ice? And I do not know the answer to that question. I don't know how it's going to translate. I do believe that it will help a little bit. And I do believe that it will not hurt. And that's the best part is that it can't hurt. The fact that it's not going to be as miserable as last season was, the fact there's not going to be as much of a dark cloud hanging over. And I know this sounds like we're piling on Daryl Sutter and and we're not because Daryl Sutter's a Hall of Fame head coach who led the team to one of their best seasons ever two years ago, got them to the second round for the first time in ages, and and had there not been the offseason turnover that happened, who knows where this team could have been poised to go. So, And Daryl Sutter is a two-time Stanley Cup winner with the way that he goes about his business. It is effective. It is strong. He is a hell of a head coach. But it also turned sour last year. We cannot deny the fact that he and veteran players were butting heads on a regular and unpleasant basis. And as a result, it became very, very miserable for this team to come to the rink. It was not a happy atmosphere. It was not an atmosphere anybody looked forward to. And it weighed on the team. And so so that no longer exists, and they've made a change. So now the question becomes, what does that mean on the ice? I am i don't know the answer, and I'm curious to start finding that answer out. Yeah, and all it means so far is a, a fresh start. But if things don't go well, it's you can't have fun in the business that is the NHL if you're not winning games. Yep. And, and I'm not saying that... It has to be miserable around the rink, but if guys aren't performing the way they anticipate, if the team isn't finding some success, it's really hard to manufacture fun in that environment, right? If Jacob Markstrom has an 8.92 save percentage again, he's not going to be a barrel of laughs in the locker room. And yet, I think where the positivity can make a difference is the word I have in mind actually isn't positivity, it's predictability. If there's one thing that we've heard from players or, or people who were around about Daryl Sutter, it's that you just didn't really know what to expect on any given day. There, there'd be days when guys expected it was going to be a good mood around the rink and, and they'd be mistaken. And I yep. think Ryan Huska, by the very nature of who he is, but also by the fact that he had a front row seat to see what worked and what didn't work, in the Daryl Sutter era, I think Ryan Huska is going to be a lot more predictable. That doesn't mean when they've lost three in a row, they're going to be playing tic-tac-toe on the ice with, you know, oversized pucks or whatever, whatever game you can come up with. But I do think that that positivity 
there's going to be a real go out of our way to try and make sure that it doesn't get really heavy around here. Right. And then the onus is on the players, and this is where it maybe gets a little unfair to Daryl Sutter. The onus is on the players to make sure of it. Yep. The coach can't be in charge of the fun factory. And so this team, from the coach on down, failed to pull itself out of funks last year. They they ended up with a lot of lengthy skids because they couldn't collectively pull themselves out of these miserable times. That's not on Daryl Sutter entirely. It's up to now Michael Backlund as captain, the rest of the leadership, up to even the young guys like Jacob Pelche when he returns and Matt Coronado. This team needs to be able to manufacture some of those good vibes because yep. I thought Nazem Kadri made a great point this morning when he was asked about the start of a new season. He said, the one thing you know is an NHL season is always going to be a roller coaster. This isn't going to be 82 of the funnest nights you've ever had in your life. And how this team weathers those periods of adversity is going to tell us a lot. Fun factory. Good, uh, good 90s techno band. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? We need to talk, by the way, about there being a new DJ in town. Are you like with AJ Greer? Yeah. Are you? Uh, do you have your back up a little, or no, how are you feeling? No, we'll do. We'll do tandem sets. Okay. Yeah. We'll, okay. We'll, we'll play a couple nightclubs together. DJ Power. Do we know his name? We'll head down to Roadhouse, and uh, we'll do. Uh, we'll do a couple of. Uh, I know it doesn't exist anymore. We'll, we'll do a couple of tandem sets at Roadhouse, Coyotes, uh, and Tantra. We'll do, we'll hit all three. You know, I'm the whiskey. I'm really dating myself because I didn't even know the Roadhouse was closed. No, it became Knoxville's, and then it's been closed. For, I mean, I guess I did know that. I drive by it, and years. there's not even a building there anymore. But it, it doesn't click though that it's gone. Yeah, it's, uh, Fun Factory, great techno band. They were on a couple Backstreet Boys songs early in the day. Oh, now you're losing me, buddy. Uh, okay, a uh, couple of texts uh, before we move on to some of these next questions at nine sixty nine sixty. This says uh, no. They are not just simply no. They're not better than they were last year. Fair enough. I appreciate the concise nature of your text Daryl uh, Daryl and Viking or is that one unsigned it is a 403 I'm not sure if Vikings a 403 or a 780 no I'm pretty sure that's 780 okay. country yeah uh, this says same team flames are no better now than last year uh, this says um, this marginally decent team will be marginally better and players on the team will be marginally better and worse this will result in a marginally better season playoffs a 4 or 5 and out and a marginally good draft pick that marginally helps the team the following year. That is a very um, marginal way of looking at things, I believe. Yeah, there's a little cynicism in there. And a little I, bit. I get it. I absolutely get it. But that was, uh, yes, dripping sarcasm and cynicism. Uh, this says they're better, Pat, but still not good enough to beat Vegas, Edmonton, L.A., Colorado, or Dallas in the West and in the playoffs. And that's really all that matters is the text lines open at 960, 960. Uh, this says it'll only stay positive if they win. Uh, and Noah says good mood, different coach or same coach. This team is only good enough to just sneak into a playoff spot and nothing better than that. And they certainly aren't bad enough to lose out or tank. So the gist of it is I expect nothing but another mushy middle year uh we'll continue on on the text line as we continue bouncing some questions uh off of you how we need some 
We need some Hope Springs Eternal-style baseball optimism, don't we? Usually when there's a bunch of negative texts, then the positive yeah. people, they, they, they start chiming in afterwards or vice versa. And I, I don't disagree with the fact that you're looking at a team that probably is good enough to be a playoff team and, and might not be good enough to scare anyone once they get there. But, hey, it is October 11th. And we found out last year, as players have been reminding us, that what you think a team is going into the season doesn't always yep. it doesn't always pan out. And and maybe these Calgary Flames can surprise us in a good way. Um how much are the contract statuses of these pending UFAs going to hang over the team? How much are they going to be a storyline this year? And specifically the two big ones in Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm. How much of a storyline is that going to be until we get clarity? Well, I'm curious for your take on this, but I'll start, and and this is how I look at it. They become a bigger story if this team doesn't get off to a good start. I was actually surprised, outside of maybe the first, you know, you go back to the golf tournament and then the first couple days of training camp, the contracts were certainly a big story, but... I didn't think they were a dominant storyline throughout training camp as they could have been. Mm-hmm. Certainly, Michael Backlund's extension maybe changes the the mood on that or, or changes some of the concern that people are having that everyone is going to want out. But I do think it makes the first, let's call it, 10 games of this season so crucial for the Calgary Flames because... If you really struggle out of the gates and you start to fall behind early and yep. you don't have specifically those two guys, Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm's name on contracts, you're going to have to make some decisions sooner than later. And so I think the contracts really become a cloud if the team comes out and really struggles early. If If this team is sort of... Where we anticipate if they're if they're winning more than they're losing in the early stages, I think the contracts maybe stay on the back burner just a little bit. But if this team gets off to a poor start, I, I really think that's the biggest storyline, and it's just going to be hanging there. Well, and that's just it. I do think that, first of all, I think a good start does wonders for this team in so many different ways because – it is a great tool to convince certain players to stay. It's also a great tool to, if those players don't want to stay, boost certain players' trade value. And it makes it so that if a player does want to get dealt, there's more, uh, there's more positivity and there's more interest on a player on a team that's doing well as opposed to the opposite. So I think a good start helps everything. And so that that I can't remember a year where – the month of October and the month of November feel bigger and more important than they do right now for so many different reasons, for setting the direction of the rest of this season and also for setting the big-picture direction for the team for the next number of years with some of these decisions. Like the decision they make with Lindholm, the decision they make with Hannafin 
these decisions will go a long way in, in shaping the direction. If they're going to sign both those guys, that obviously shapes the direction for the next you know better part of a decade. If they're not and they're going to deal them, that also shapes things for the next number of years and what type of return they get back. So, yeah, that, that I think is going to be a storyline, but I think it is a far easier storyline to push to the back. And even in that locker room, uh, a storyline that's easier to not worry about or a topic not to worry about if they're playing some good hockey. And especially, Pat, because it's probably not something like, let's say you get off to a poor start and you decide, okay, we are moving Elias Lindholm and and Noah Hannaf. And they're still maybe wishy-washy on whether they want to stay and Craig Conroy has decided the best course of action is I, I'm going to explore the trade market. Yep. Well, like look at what's happening around the NHL. We have teams that are already in emergency conditions without having played a game because they have zero salary cap space. Like the Calgary Flames. One injury is, is you know, causing all these problems for teams. And so I think where it really becomes tricky is if you get off to a poor start, you might know that Lindholm and Hannafin are getting traded by early December, but realistically, you might not be able to make that trade until February. And that really just extends the storyline, right? Every day that a guy is around in limbo, every day that he's in the locker room with his bags half-packed, I think that really becomes a distraction. And the only way to avoid that is either to get the paperwork done right away or to get off to a good start and ensure that the focus more often than not is on what you're doing on the ice. Um, okay. And before we go back to the text line and before I uh, hit up a couple of rapid fire ones, do we know what the identity of this team is? Do we know, do we even know what it's supposed to be? Because I think the easy question is no, we do not know what the identity of this team is. But as we sit here right now on October 11th before a meaningful game has been played, do we even know what it's supposed to be or what it's supposed to look like? On my handy notes here, Pat, I not only wrote down no idea, (laughs) but I underlined it. That's how adamant I am that I I really don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what this team is. You and I were texting about it during the final preseason game against the Vancouver Canucks and and that wasn't you know certainly the the most stellar performance the most encouraging performance from the Calgary Flames in their final exhibition game and you know we we were kind of batting that topic around what what does this team want their identity to be you know they want to play with pace but the, the I don't think they're a fast team you know they they coveted a guy like A.J. Greer, who can add a little bit of bite, as Ryan Huska puts it. But I wouldn't call them a, a tough team. And, and I don't know. Like, we we always want to attach an identity to a team. And I, I'm not sure that, especially in recent years in the NHL, it's been that easy. But with this one especially, I, I'd love to hear from you. I, I just don't know. I think I have an idea of what they're supposed to be. I think that they are supposed to be a uh, kind of a plucky, up-tempo, uh, tenacious group to play against. 
Um, I think that they want to be a team that resembles the way, especially in their first couple of years, resembles the way Vegas plays. Uh, really up-tempo, playing a fast game. And when I say that, I don't mean like they're they're blinding you with speed because they don't have a lot of burners. It's, it's more about... I think it's going to be a lot of like really quick one touch or close to one touch passes and and try to be as up tempo in that regard as possible. I think that that is what the idea is supposed to be. I just I don't know how long it's going to take for them to perfect it or or be able to execute it on a consistent basis. So I I think I have an idea ish of what they'd like to look like, um, you know, some some quicker stretch passes and some quick passes out of their own zone and, you know, not having, especially on blue liner sticks, not having the puck on the stick for very often, get it to the forwards and then get it on the attack, which is not how they played last year and the year before. That was more of a, more of a hold-it type team. Um, they were more about, controlled zone entries and then once they were there really holding it I think even in the offensive zone there's going to be more of a um, more of an onus on trying to get the puck to quality areas and then getting shots away as opposed to holding and then shooting from everywhere and trying to win the puck back so that's what I think they're supposed to be but I don't know how long until we see it I don't know at what point we're going to see it and say yes that's the way they're supposed to play. Yeah, I, th- I think you raise a really good point, and I, I like the words you chose. Plucky and tenacious is certainly what we've heard a lot of, even when you ask Ryan Huska about individual players, it's so much about work ethic and, and puck retrievals and one-on-one battles and, and you know getting it back if you lose it. And that sort of trumped some of the creativity and stuff that we've heard about, But but I think only because that needs to be the focus as they iron out the systems. It has to be, listen, there, there's going to be some hiccups, so it's all about getting it back. It's all about that tenacity that you talk about. It is, you know, we can tell just from watching practice every day, it's a pretty drastic systemic change in some ways, and it, it's not going to be perfect off the bat. Yeah. But if they can get the puck sort of, you know, a team that doesn't have a ton of burners speed-wise, if you can get the puck to be the, the sort of fastest player on your team, we've seen other groups have success with that. And and I think you're right. It sure does feel like that's what the Calgary Flames want this group to do. Okay, rapid fire than the text line. What player needs to bounce back most for this team to be a playoff team? Jacob Markstrom. Yep, Markstrom. What are fair expectations as a rookie for Matt Coronado? I don't know that 20 goals is fair, but I don't think it's far-fetched. And and just a quick history lesson, there's four guys as rookies in the past three decades who have scored more than 20 for the Calgary Flames. That's rookies with more than 20 goals in their first season in the NHL. Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, Jerome McGinley and Dion Phaneuf, all between 20 and 24 goals. I, I heard someone throw out the number 30 for Matt Coronado the other day. It is really, really hard to score as a rookie in the NHL. I think 20 is doable, but I wouldn't look too much north of that. I think 15 to 20 goals, 
35 to 40 points is is fair. Uh, I, I don't think if he doesn't hit that, it's a failure, but I think that's a fair ballpark, especially knowing where he's going to start the season. Power play in the top nine, in a scoring role. I think those are fair, but not kind of – they don't – if he doesn't hit it, it's not a bad thing. I just think in that ballpark is, is a decent expectation. Yeah, and if you could get close to, to 20-40, then you're keeping your spot in the top nine. And that in itself would be a successful first season for Matt Coronado. Uh, and give me one candidate for a recall this season. Dustin Wolf. Okay, I thought you were going to go there. I'm going to go Adam Klapka. I just think <laughs> we should go to break. We all know what I think about Dustin Wolf. You've mentioned it a couple of times. <laughs> I appreciate the way you stick to it. couple of texts. Um, with Huberdeau having a good year and a better season for Markstrom, this will be a 102-point season. Hell, just practicing three-on-three three should get him three to four more wins. Have some faith. I also predict Coronado will influence everyone's attitude with his injection of youth. Uh, this says... When you guys are thinking about their identity, how much weight do you put in on how the captain does his thing? Should their identity be somewhat aligned with the captain? Um, I, I, I don't. The, when, we, when we say identity, it's more about the way they play is what we're talking about and the type of style that they end up playing. Uh, I, and I would just say one of the things I've respected the most about Michael Backlund throughout his career is he's proven to be very adaptable. He's had really good seasons in yeah. a variety of systems and under a variety of coaches. So I don't think you need to tailor your identity or your approach to the captain. It's one of his strengths is being able to kind of roll with whatever. Dwayne says, new faces in management, improved attitude in the room, new coach, all equals a better season, even though on paper they're pretty much the same. How far can they go in the playoffs? Ask the Bruins how much regular season standings mean. Uh, this says, even if Kadri and Huberdeau do better, I still don't see how this team will be significantly better than last year. They may have a couple brilliant wins throughout, but I think it's laughable to think this team will make the playoffs. I really hope the new coach sparks new life, but I'm extremely skeptical. Uh, this from Mike and Kalar. We'll all be pleasantly surprised with what the Flames do this year if one key performer has a bounce back, Jacob Markstrom. Even if key defense and offensive metrics are flat year over year, a return to form from Markstrom gets them to, gets them back to the playoffs. He got hot late, and uh, and if he gets hot late, they can go on a potential run. Uh, this uh, says, worst part of a Flames season, so many Debbie Downer fans, I'd rather they go cheer for Toronto with the rest of hockey's worst fans and let the rest of us true Flames fans enjoy a season and be optimistic. I don't think that um, being uh, half empty doesn't make you a true fan. I think it makes you jaded, and there's been many reasons to be jaded in recent years. Um, this says, part of the reason this team has been so mediocre the past few seasons is because this city is some of the biggest pessimists I've ever seen. Positivity breeds results. Let's get it, boys. Um, again, I think the pessimism is sometimes very well-founded in this market. There's been yeah. a lot of heartbreaks. It's absolutely understandable, but you know, as you head home from work and jump in your vehicle to come back to the saddle dome tonight, I, I do think there is a lot to be excited about. And one of the things maybe we should have touched on when we were talking about identity. And this isn't the first thing on the, the coaches board, but I do believe this team is going to be way more fun to watch this year. And as a fan, if you can take one thing and, and say, hey, you know, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah, you want to see your team in the playoffs. Yeah, you want to see your team ultimately hoist the Stanley Cup. I think this team 
and I do think they're going to be better. I also think they're going to be a whole ton more fun to watch this season, and that's something to look forward to. Pat, Wes, this hour of Flames Talk is underway. Uh, We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, tune in to the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casiero Del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend contest, the chance to win a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford, where Man U legends will make an appearance. No no purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casiero del Diablo, available at the AGLC. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasieroManchester.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, season opening edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable now. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Get the chance to drive a brand new GLC 300 with zero down for $1,099 a month. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and with us here at the Hot Stove Lounge at the Dome as well is the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills. And Guys, Wes and I went through a little bit of a great expectations, asking a bunch of questions to set up the season a little earlier. One thing we didn't hit on is this. Guys, what what constitutes a successful 2023-24 season for the Calgary Flames? What what needs to happen to deem this year a success? They have to make the playoffs. And that's kind of the bottom line for me. I was going to say they have to make the playoffs and win around, but I think the Pacific Division is a lot deeper this season than it's probably been since the three California teams were all good at the same time for a long time. So I think they've got to get in, whether that's top three in the Pacific Division or through one of the two wild cards in the Western Conference. And then you see what your first round matchup looks like and go from there. But they had pretty high expectations internally and externally last season after finishing first in the Pacific Division and winning a playoff series. And I know there was a lot of change, Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk out, but Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Wieger and Nazem Kadri in. They look like a different team, but in some ways a better team. And after a good start, it just was a really tough season in so many ways. So they missed last year. Expectations are lower again. They tend to respond well every time people write them off. So for me, they got to get in, guys. I was joking with someone who asked me this question the other day that every time I think that the team's going to be really strong, they're not very good. And every time that I think they're (laughs) going to be not very good, they have a terrific season. And this year, I I just don't really know what to expect. But I do think, I'll echo you, I, I, I think not qualifying for the playoffs, it would be hard to consider that a successful season. I, I do think this team has to find a way to get in that Elite Eight in the Western Conference. And I scribbled down a couple other things that, that I'll add. I, I think they need, by the end of this season, for me to look back and, and say it was a step in, you know, a, a step in the right direction, they they need a direction. They They need to yeah. figure out what the future of their core especially looks like. A lot of that is based on the contracts of a couple big names, obviously, in Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin, but 
there's a couple other key pieces there that aren't signed beyond this season either. So I think by the time you get to the end of the season, this Flames team under Craig Conroy needs a clear direction. We need to see where this thing is trending. And as part of that, I think by the end of the season, for it to be a success, you need to have a better idea of what you have in some of these young guys because they're going to be so key to your direction. You need to have a better idea of what Matt Coronado can be at the NHL level. And I realize I'm talking about a guy who's played one game so far. You need to have a better idea once he's healthy where Jacob Pelche fits. You need to know what your goaltending plan is going to be in it. It can't just be a a yo-yo because one guy's waiver exempt. And so that to me, figuring out what you have in some of these young guys and figuring out the direction you're going is just as important as being a playoff team. I, I'll, I'll echo the playoff thing because I, I, I'm with you. Just get there for this year the way last year went. Just get there. This team should have been a playoff team last year. Who the heck knows what they could have been capable of in the playoffs, but they should have been a playoff team last year. So get there. They're a cap team. Like, they're over the cap. They're in LTIR. Uh, Shillington's on LTIR right now, and Pelche's on season opening LTIR. Like, they are in, they are past the cap. And you should not be a team with minus numbers on the salary cap missing the playoffs. Unless, unless you're the Minnesota Wild who are getting out from under some of those contracts or San Jose getting out from some of those contracts, they, they should be a playoff team. So I will echo that 100%. And whether they win a round or not, I just think getting there is is the bare minimum, but is also kind of what defines it. But here would be to add on to that, and I, I also think – they need to, between now and the trade deadline, they have got to get clarity on what's happening with Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm. Because if they go past the trade deadline and they don't have clarity on the futures of either of those guys, meaning that they don't have contracts and they haven't been traded and they put themselves in a spot where they might lose one for nothing again, that would be a real step backwards organizationally for them. So I think that's kind of the, the caveat that I would have. Yes, make the playoffs, but also don't put yourself in a spot like you were with Johnny Gaudreau two years ago where you risk losing a key core member of your team for nothing. So get some clarity, whether it's a new contract or it's a trade between now and mid-February or whenever the trade deadline is this year. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Pat. And yes, Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin are at the top of that list of players they need to, to figure out. Are they staying? Are they going? What are they doing? But they're not the only ones. I would add Nikita Zadorov to that list as well because, and I guess Chris Tanev, because these are two guys who, if you're not a playoff team, you could probably get a fairly significant return for two top four defensemen approaching the NHL's trade deadline. Now, the reason why I think that, and we've talked ad nauseum about this, why Lindholm and Hannafin are more important is because they're a first-line center and they are a first or a second pairing defenseman, and they're in the prime of their careers. And you can't let them walk for nothing. And that's why I was so leery about going into the season with those two guys unsigned. Now, the Flames might have a way better idea than we do of what direction that's going in with one or both of those guys. But they're not the only ones who they could get a substantial return for if they decided to move on from them. So you just don't want to be in a position where you're fighting for a playoff spot 
and thinking to yourself, we can't trade our number one centerman, we can't trade our number one, two, three defensemen because we're going to try to sneak in. I think that's the dangerous part about it. But guys, it's fitting that the Jets are tonight's opponent. And Pat, we're going to talk more about this on Flames warm-up tonight, but so many things went wrong for this Flames team last year. And the Jets, as a result, were able to back into that second wild card. It's a long list. I'm not going to go through it right now. But other than being relatively healthy last season, nothing really went right for the Flames. Yeah. And they still finished three points out of that second wild card spot. So assuming that everything or not everything goes wrong this season, I don't see why they shouldn't be in contention for a playoff spot, whether, again, that's top three in the division or one of the top eight in the conference. I'm just going to pick up on one thing you said because because it, you absolutely nailed it, and you talk about it, if you're trying to weigh potentially trading your first-line center and one of your top-pairing defensemen, and you might be in the playoff race at the same time, what a dangerous spot that is. I think dangerous is the word you used, and it's absolutely right. The trouble is, because those contracts aren't done unless they get announced in the next three hours, you kind of are putting yourself in that position. You are going to have to, if this team performs the way you think it's capable of, you're going to have to make those decisions on the fly this year. Yeah. And and that's a spot I know they didn't want to be in. And, and I've applauded Craig Conroy's patience. I think it's paid off a bunch of times. I, You know, it, it sure seems like Elias Lindholm might be looking in a, a salary range that they're not comfortable with at, at this juncture. But you do risk the danger of having to balance those two out because now the games start to count. And starting tonight, you're either sitting in a playoff position or you're not. And this is something that they're going to have to figure out on the fly. Let's continue on that on that same vein. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek West and Pat on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk. So where do the Flames fit in this Pacific Division picture? You mentioned the Pacific a little bit tougher this year and a Pacific division that might be a little bit of a step forward than what we're used to over the last number of years. So knowing that, knowing the Stanley Cup champion came from this division last year, knowing that there are a number of teams that are playoff competitive here, how do we see the Flames fitting in? If I were to tier the teams, I've got the Golden Knights in their own tier because... Defending champs? They're the defending Stanley Cup champions and... Quite frankly, I just, even though talent-wise, I think you could make an argument the Oilers should be in that top tier until they get over the big hump in the playoffs, which they have not been able to do with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and others. I just I can't put them in the same tier as the defending Stanley Cup champions. And the two teams are built so differently. The Golden Knights won because they roll four lines and three pairings and uh, Wes Gilbertson can play in goal, apparently, uh, and they could still win the Stanley Cup. But it, You'd be it still surprised. blows my mind like how many goaltenders they burned through and still won it all last year. But And then the Oilers, they're top-heavy. They've got three of the top 11 point producers in the league from last season. Connor McDavid, one. Leon Dreisaitl, two. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, three. I love the Matthias Atcom edition on the blue line. They're, to me, they're a team that, it's a little top-heavy, but still very talented. And if they get league-average goaltending from one or both of Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner, I think they're a team that, people are going to hate to hear this, I think they're a team that could win it all. So, Pew. Tier 1 Golden Knights, 
Tier 2 Oilers. And then in Tier 3, I've actually got three teams, guys. I've got the Kings. I've got the Kraken, who finished 3-4 in the division, respectively, last year. And I've got the Flames. And I would not be surprised if the Kraken took a step back. Because talent-wise, I, I just I don't think they're in the same class as the Kings and the Flames. But the way they play, we even saw it in the preseason, they're a hard team to play against. I think they're really well coached. So they might be there top three, top four in the Pacific Division or maybe a wild card in the West. The Kings, they're different than they were a year ago. I'm not sure they're better. They're not deeper, I can tell you that, after making that trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And we're going to see a few of the reasons why in this game against the Jets tonight. Uh, But I still think they're a team that's going to fight for a playoff spot. I think talent-wise, the Flames are probably the third best team in the division. And if their goaltending is where it was two seasons ago as opposed to last season... I would actually pick them to finish top three in the division. But uh, in that kind of third tier of teams, there are a bunch of question marks. I think the Canucks are going to be better. They've improved their blue line. Thatcher Demko is the number one goaltender. They've had plenty of talent up front for a while. And then you've got the two rebuilding California teams and the Sharks and the Ducks that I don't expect to be competitive for a playoff spot. So I think it's a bit deeper division than it's been. And it's going to be tough to finish top three, but uh, I wouldn't put it past the Flames. I... I just want to be upfront about this because you won't find this on Hockey TV. But in my last appearance as a goaltender, <laughs> at eight years old, I gave up eleven. So while I appreciate your optimism and <laughs> what I might have been able to do with the Golden Knights last spring, I'm not sure I'm the guy. Just want to be upfront about that. I I have the two teams. My tears would be very similar to yours, although I have the Oilers and the Golden Knights for regular season purposes in the same tier. Fair. I think those two teams are the elite of the Pacific Division. And then I have sort of the same mess you do fighting for third and the wild card spots. I, I do think the Calgary Flames are absolutely in that mix. I, I know the Los Angeles Kings are in that mix. The Seattle Kraken are in that mix. And I, I think the Vancouver Canucks can probably force their way into it as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, the when you talk about the Kraken potentially regressing, coming back to earth a little bit, I I think the good news for the Calgary Flames is you really should be a better team than you were last year. Mm -hmm. You, as you said, but beyond health, nothing went right for this team. Couldn't like, couldn't get out of their own way. Couldn't put the puck in the back of the net in overtime. Couldn't get a clutch goal when they needed one. Couldn't get a clutch save when they needed one. Like, we could we could fill two round tables with things that went wrong for this team last year. They should be absolutely in that mix. I don't think they're in the same tier as Vegas and Edmonton, but after that, third and the wild card spots are absolutely up for grabs. Yeah, I I, I think where I see them is pretty, and and, and I'll be quick because we don't have a ton of time. But I think I have them in about the same spot that you have in the the middle of the Pacific Division. Not a top-tier team and not a bottom-tier team is the way I see them. And, and, and if they if they play closer to expectation than they did last year or if they play closer to capability, remember, they lost all those one-goal games. They had some of the worst goaltending in the NHL. They could not win in overtime. All of the things that we know happened last year, and they still missed by two. I'm not suggesting they're a cup contender, but they should be a playoff team. And 
is L.A. good? Yeah, they've had back-to-back triple-digit seasons. And is uh, Vancouver better? Yeah-ish. I'm, I'm still not sold on them. But Vancouver could be better. And Seattle won a round last year. So those teams are absolutely all factors. But I believe the Flames should be in the mix for the third spot in the Pacific or a wild card spot. I see them as one of the middle teams. And if they play a little bit closer to capability compared to what we saw last year, they should be in a playoff spot in the final weeks of the season. I know we're tight for time, so I'll try to keep this quick. But at this time last year, how many people thought the Golden Knights were a Stanley Cup contender? I would say not many. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of people, probably even most people, had them in the second or third tier of the Pacific Division. And when I look at the Golden Knights and how they're built, and when I look at the Flames and how they're built, I see a lot of similarities. And you could even argue that the Flames should be better between the pipes. It didn't seem to matter for the Golden Knights last year, but the Flames should be better between the pipes. I think the Golden Knights are a little bit better on defense, but the Flames are also very deep on defense. And if they were to get Oliver Shillington back, now you're talking about a pretty potent top six. And... Yeah, the Golden Knights probably have one or two players who are better than anybody the Flames have at forward and Jack Eichel and and Mark Stone. But I see a a team that rolls four lines and is deep and is balanced. And I think that's who the Flames could be at forward. So I'm not saying they're going to win the Cup, but I do think they're going to surprise a lot of people this season if they can stay healthy and if guys coming off horrible seasons can just get back to where they've been for most of their career. I asked Blake Coleman the other day about the fact nobody is picking this Flames team to accomplish a whole lot, and he had this big smile on his face, and he said, well, if you win your first 10 games, they'll start calling you a contender again. (laughs) True enough. And then he said, and this is how I'll leave it, that's why they play the games. He would know. Huh? Yep. He would know. He would indeed. Uh, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap up this hour. Uh, thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers. Wes on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. Derek's at Fan960Wills. My name is Pat, and that'll wrap us up as well on our Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book your winter detail package today for $349. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, minutes from the Calgary Airport.